This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Our lives are actually really deep and profound experiences and complex and rich and nuanced and wonderful and challenging. But we have to really be careful to pay attention and show up. Otherwise, you might miss it. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. I am so excited to have my next guest here, Benjamin Wagner, who is the co-producer of the award-winning Mr. Rogers and Me, the PBS documentary, but also so much more. And I met Benjamin and was obviously just enamored with what he had co-produced, but just got to know him and his journey and it was so incredible to hear. I'll give you just a couple of hints on sort of other stuff that he's done along the way. As I said, he co-produced the endearing and award-winning documentary about the iconic Mr. Rogers. Uh, His film covers the positive influence that Mr. Rogers had on people's lives. And what was so special about his relationship was he was actually Mr. Rogers' neighbor. And that's pretty crazy in and of itself. Benjamin recently left his role at that little company, Facebook, uh, (laughs) after six years where he was hired to launch the Facebook Journalism Project globally. And he did lots of other stuff, including large-scale events, uh, as well as Facebook Media Central, Facebook Live. And prior to that, This is where I got a little crazy (laughs) because this is my generation. He spent 18 years at MTV News, transforming it into a 24-7 digital network, which, again, coming from uh, I was at CNN at the time when... You know, news was was kind of something besides the six and ten o'clock news, mm-hmm. and uh, MTV was just kind of really getting moving. So I've uh, I've watched that entire progress that you had really developed along the way, and I'm just uh, gaga over over that aspect of your journey too. All but right. but more than anything, I just think hearing on this podcast from founders and CEOs and often 
times just really cool people that have done really great stuff that is super inspiring, um, co-producers of award-winning films, as well as uh, people who have just launched kind of mini-businesses within large businesses is yeah. really Entrepreneurship, what we're all about. right? Yeah. Exa- exactly. So welcome, Benjamin oh, Wagner. So excited. I, I'm tickled pink. Oh, you're... Uh, you're uh, you're great to be here. So you seem to be able to. Well, let's let's start here. Where did this all start for little Benjamin? Oh, great question. Oh, you know, um, my family's from the Midwest, so there's a uh, from Iowa, and so there's a real sort of sense of that middle, the openness, all that. You know, the things that I, I connect with the Midwest. But I was raised in the Northeast. Um, my folks divorced when I was about ten, and we moved to uh, suburban Philly. So I got a little bit of both. But writing is really where it all starts, right? The ability to kind of get down thoughts in words, and then sort of expressing it in music, and figuring out how to express it visually. So it really started early. I mean, I always was writing in journals and, you know, making little books and that sort of thing. I first performed in fifth grade in a talent show in which my brother and I had actually made our first film. I was singing the theme to the greatest American hero. Do you remember that show at all? I do remember that. Blonde curly hair. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, there's a tiny bit of it in the very beginning of Mr. Rogers and me, but you'd never know the context. You just think it's me and Chris goofing around, but it was me and Chris making a movie that we played behind me as I performed. So in a lot of ways, it all kind of connects. Then I started flipping over boxes and putting typewriters on them and pretending I was in a newspaper. Then I actually started working in newspapers, et cetera, et cetera. So it was really organic, but I think it starts with communication, expression, you know, trying to figure stuff out. That's, I love it. So I, I read that you've been writing since you were 15, but it sounds like you were even writing before then. I mean, yeah, it that's just like professionally. You, yeah. yeah. My first I mean, job was uh, writing sports for the local paper and then, you know, the college paper and managing the high school paper and then going to work for radio. Um, and, you know, that fluidity between media ended up being really useful when I graduated college right as the internet was born. Because if somebody didn't really understand some guy in marketing or some guy vice president somewhere was like, I don't know this online thing, but I think it's marketing or it's media or something. And they get to hire a guy who could write and who understand, understood visuals and who had a sort of a different kind of language. Um, that was pretty useful. So it was and I also had a Mac, which didn't hurt, mm-hmm. right? I was just an early adopter there. Thank goodness. I did a thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now. Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart. Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week too, like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices, snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. 
get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code GOLDEN50 at factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works, and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long, Term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. As well, I was I a bet. journalist. Yeah, I was a journalism major. And what I always share with people, I used my waitressing money to buy my first iMac. And oh my gosh. it was... And, you know, I was in the, in the dorm with my iMac and was... Uh, people were like, what is that? And I, I mean, I could have been a sales rep for for Apple at that point, because people were just mesmerized by it, the design, the, you know, smallness of it. It was just everything. And it had this cute little apple on it too. It's, uh, you know, you, you were living it too. And I didn't want to put whiteout into my tape typewriter anymore. I had to be cleaning my 
keys with alcohol whenever yeah. I was trying to write a paper. And it was just awful. I mean, the experience was terrible. And that's what I thought about about the IMAC. I love that you have had an iMac that feels just the moment you said that I was like, it's so perfect for you because it's colorful and it's kind of poppy and gregarious, right? I had an SE40, which was like the oh. second generation. It's still a box, you know, but it's, it's elegant. You can pick it up and carry it. It's like getting there. I mean, this is probably... 90, you know, 80 uh, yeah. or whatever. Um, but I, it's, you know, they re it's true though. There is, it seems to me, some relationship between the intuitive nature, the sort of WYSIWYG nature of, of, of Mac versus PC. But then I might not know because I never really got stuck with a PC, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. That's, that's wild. So you mentioned a couple of times the word music. Mm. And so how did music play into life and how did those two intersect for you the writing yeah. and music was in the house i mean so i was um my mom in particular but my folks were listening to the beatles you know i'm talking early 70s was when my ears were waking up so it was beatles and james taylor and john denver and like singer songwriter carol king you know which is really generally soothing contemplative, reflective stuff, right? So mm -hmm. which came first, the uh, the music or the misery, that line from High Fidelity. But I said that was always in the air. And my mom is a great piano player and she was playing acoustic guitar learning when I was in the womb. So it's almost like it was impossible for me not to love that sound of an acoustic guitar, which is the foundation of all the records I've ever put out, even though they're rock records. And so it was always present. You know, I took piano lessons and kind of played by ear, I sang in everything I could. I, I did plays. And then I got recruited into a band and I was like, you know, a rock band in high school. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's a different feeling altogether because you've got drums, bass, and electric guitars. And let's be honest, the audience responds very differently to a, a rock show than a musical, right? Maybe yeah. less these days, but um, so there was all those things. There was the personal expression. There was this sort of rebellion that's built into rock and roll valid or not there was the idea that it moved other people and that they you know reinforced it positively with applause and so forth that's a great feeling and then it became an opportunity to very rapidly i think i, I think the first talent show i played in high school we sang one of my songs you know or our songs that i wrote the lyrics to but um it becomes a, a means of not so much expression but i find uh, understanding because the songwriting process is kind of like divination in some way. You're really just trying to get out of your own way. Like any ideation, I think you're really just kind of trying to not let the critic in your own brain get in between you and what could happen because anything could happen in a way. Right. Um, yeah. and so songwriting often just lets my intuition and unconscious unspool in a really organic way. And then over time, it begins to make sense. You know, you talk about connecting the dots. I only really understand my music in retrospect and often over time. And I, I would bet that's true for many, but that's just, that's my, my thing. And it became intersected with journalism, very specifically courtesy of Jan Wenner and Rolling Stone. Um, when I was flying back and forth between parents, I would, I picked up a copy of Rolling Stone when I was you know, 10 or 11. And I immediately was like, oh, they're, they're young. I mean, you know, pop stars are like 24, you know, so it wasn't wholly unrelatable at whatever age. 
But moreover, they wear their dysfunction, at least at that time. And certainly in that magazine, it's kind of a trope. You know, it's kind of like the Rolling Stone cover story is like, let me sit on a couch in a nice hotel and unspool what's bothering me. And you're, we're going to work it out together and we're going to leave in a different place. Right. And so I felt, I think, at home with that sense of feelings that, you know, there may be some misunderstanding. I may be puzzling through some things. You know, this is, I'm flying back and forth between parents. Like this is a challenging time. And so it became a place, I think, of escape and expression, and again, of reasoning and puzzling and making sense. And then as soon as I saw Rolling Stone existed, well, it became very easy to know what I wanted to do, right? Until I saw MTV News, right? Which came just a tiny bit later. And then it was crystal clear what I wanted to do. And uh, my father tells me, because when I got the job, I was like, I never thought this would be possible. He goes, you've been talking about it your whole life. I was like, really? So I guess it was um, really high on my list of things to do really quickly, you know? Were you a fan of MTV before you? Oh, big time. Yeah. 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 You loved it. Um, and I mean, that's, I, I talk about MTV as, you know, you and I are, are of the same yeah. generation where it was just, it was game changing. I mean, well, we it was a cultural there, force. It was a disruptor, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, it, was a vis- would- it disrupted the visual medium. It disrupted advertising. It disrupted, obviously, the music business. I would argue it disrupted what do you call it? The QSR business, you know, it, it, cause, cause it just suddenly became this whole new universe of yeah. culture. Right. But I just liked, you know, I liked seeing Tom Petty pretend he was in Mad Max, you know, or seeing Madonna in Italy. I just, it was as far away as my imagination in some ways could take me um, within the context of reality, because they were real people versus yeah. reading, you know, a fantasy story or a piece of fiction that was, was, was not true. And for me, I always wanted to get underneath the the music video or the gloss or the photo shoot i wanted to be like no but what what's the lyric about what's the title about what's the issue what is he or she wrestling with i love it which by the way is i think my core competency on earth at least it's the thing i'm still really most passionate about you know well and that's your curiosity right i mean i think that that is that's that you know you always have it you're not really sure how you're going to use it, but when you do use it, it all sort of rolls back to, it's always been there, Yeah. but when you need to use it, and it's crazy to me sometimes when I think about curiosity is what differentiates mm-hmm. industries, people, it, it really just boils down to it. A hundred percent. And I've found that it's actually like many things, a decision to some degree, right? Uh-huh. Because- you're not naturally going to be curious about everything. Let's just, let me just be clear with you. Have I managed budgets? Yes. Am I curious about them? Not really. Right. Um, am I curious about the universe? Am I curious about why my brain works like it does? Why I respond to a camera different than eyeballs, whatever, you know, absolutely. And I've found the more I cultivate curiosity, like noticing, right? Being outside and noticing or being in relationship and noticing that it's like a muscle that I'm getting a little bit, a little bit better at it. Um, and so then you can leverage that curiosity and kind of point it at things like a laser beam, you know? I love that. That's so yeah. great. So you, so you get, you're, you're there for a measly uh, 18 years and, and doing which is, I know, crazy. I don't even, I feel like MTV doesn't make sense to a lot of audiences because its heyday is so past, which by the way, was part of my like heads up that it was time to go. I was like, it's really time. But it also tells you something about my loyalty and commitment. And I really, 
I was so committed to helping. There was so, I was there so long when I was just like, if we could just do these things, you know, and then finally I got the chance to do some of the things. And once you get that chance and you can see the impact your ideas and your collaboration, the team building makes, you're like, it's a, you're hooked, right? Yeah. So that's part of the reason, but 18 years, I mean, I grew up there, you know, I was a kid and I started and I still feel like a kid, but I definitely was not a kid when I left. (laughs) <laughs> Incredible. So you, uh, six years, you just left Facebook. Actually, yeah. when you and I were talking, you hadn't even done that yet. So no, that's it's, right. Uh, and, uh, and as I mentioned, it was earlier, incubating, make no mistake, obviously. Right? right. Talk to us a little bit about what you were doing there. Oh, I mean, I, I listen, I, I had a ball at Facebook. Um, I, and I did a ton of things, you know, one of the coolest components of, of taking a gig there is it's going to change every second of every day. And it's certainly mm-hmm. going to change, you know, the, the company or, uh, operates around a half system, right? So you're certainly looking at resetting the organizational sort of um, strategy or at least tactics, operational processes all the time, which is either really disruptive or really exciting, right? Depending on kind of how, what your approach is. I found it enormously instructive because c- it helped me to understand that that was something I was attracted to and trying to do previously but hadn't, didn't really have the cultural language or the tools or the processes for it. So I did a bunch of things, but like you said, I, I was, I, I started doing in essence, editorial and production oriented functions, just as those sorts of, of needs were arising. And some of the first things I worked on was we did a media partner center called Facebook media central in New York. That was a place where public figures, um, f- uh, you know, celebrities, so forth would come in, learn how to use uh, Facebook and Instagram and the tools, get a sense of the culture. I- in essence, I, I became a, a kind of the, a people person. And there were a number of people persons, right. That aren't on the product per se, but they're on the relationship between the entities using the products. So Facebook media central, I helped Chris Cox launch Facebook live. He, by the way, really wanted to talk about Sway Calloway and Kurt Loder from MTV yeah. News, which is really fun. Yeah. Um, you know, I did a lot it. on Facebook Live, uh, all kinds of events, um, elections, uh, conventions all around the world. And then um, I, I've always been in news partnerships. Um, so uh, I got to help launch the Facebook Journalism Project um, with Campbell Brown and Anya Kerr and a whole bunch of, you know, brilliant, wonderful people and just travel the world. And I'm... <laughs> There's always a part of me, Kara, that's a kid from Iowa, just like our mutual friend, Craig. I think there's always like a kid from Rhode Island and, you know, to wake up in Kuala Lumpur with a little Facebook button on your lapel is, a, yeah. you know, a neat moment. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's <laughs> so kind it of fun. was just, I... it was spectacular. That's awesome. I love it. So now the main event. So <laughs> let's turn to the documentary yeah. you co-produced with your brother, uh, Mr. Rogers and me. And I had seen it prior to you sending it over to me. And it was absolutely so incredible. Oh, if you, you those listening haven't seen it, you should absolutely watch it. But give us the a bit of the background. Yeah, 100%. So Mr. Roger Summert in a modest gray shake shingle house on the edge of Nantucket Island. And my mother rented a tiny cottage next door. So Mr. Rogers really was my neighbor. That is, you may recall the actual beginning of the film. Um, You know, my mom had been going to Nantucket um, for years uh, just to, you know, sit on the porch and read books and stuff. And Nantucket's a fancy town, but where, where she has historically gone is thoroughly unfancy, nothing special, sand streets, lovely, beautiful, and quiet. And as it ends up, um, one afternoon, 
Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, said hello to her on the beach. And I think she had known that his house was in that neighborhood of the island. It's called Madikin. And she was getting a, a theology degree at the time. He is an ordained Presbyterian, was an ordained Presbyterian minister. So obviously they had rapport. As all parents do, she, um, you know, bragged about her kids, I guess. And she called the next day and said, you know, you'll never believe who I, who I met. And, you know, he'd love to meet you guys. You should come out. And so I, yeah, I pretty immediately went out to Nantucket to, to say hello to my mother. And, you know, it's frankly just a ferry ride from New York City. It's not impossible. Uh, and I was, it was my 30th birthday and sitting there, you know, this is back in the age of blackberries, which you also remember, it's still vibrating. It's VMA season, by the way. So everybody wants to talk video music awards, but I'm on vacation. And Mr. Rogers walks over the dune and says, you must be the birthday boy, you know, and it kind of all gets magical and beautiful from there. In essence, he gave us a tour of his house, me and, and my mom, and I uh, played some music for him. And he, I just felt very at home. He's super authentic as, as you, you mentioned, very present. And, um, I was alone with him in his study and he said, um, unprompted, tell me about your parents' divorce, you know, out of the blue. Now I suspect he and my mother had discussed it, but he, he was, and, and the, the, so fast forward, I have now talked to hundreds of people about their one-to-one -one encounters with Mr. Rogers, well, whether brief or of any duration and to a person, they, they tell a story like this where they were disarmed by his radical sort of presence and engagement and sort of commitment to being with you in that moment, in that experience, but That's also awesome. his ability to get right at the stuff that he intuited was maybe blocking you. Yeah. So, you know, it was a really moving, really moving experience. And what did you say? Like, what, what did you say? I mean, you guys are listening oh, gosh, to music, yeah. you're, you're, you know, hanging out and, uh, I was embarrassed. I was a little embarrassed and I, and I, and I, I owned it gently in the film and, you know, I mean, again, track this with me. I, I felt, you know, I did music news at MTV because for me as a young person, uh, knowing what artists were up to and moreover, knowing what was behind their art was really meaningful to me. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but also MTV news covered news for young people at the time, but outside of that, there was a lot of junk on that channel. And generally media is a lot of junk, you know, certainly large mainstream media. Let, let, let me rephrase junk. You know, let's say low in healthy calories and high in, you know, uh, you know, sound and fury signifying nothing. Right. So, um, I just thought it was a, a real opportunity with him to really talk about, I'm a little uncomfortable with what I do and I'd like to do something that's a little more meaningful. You know, and I kind of intimated that. And, and he said the, the line that really anchors sort of our investigation or interrogation of, of the meaning of the man in his work, which is he said, you know, Benjamin, <laughs> we're staring out at the Madikit Bay where he swam like a mile a day, every day, every time he was there. And he said, uh, I feel so strongly that deep and simple is far more essential than shallow and complex, right? So he talked about this idea that like dominant culture is actually largely, let's call it complex sugars and empty calories, but you know, his mission, right? And this was PBS's mission. And you've probably seen some of those clips yeah. where he's talking about PBS in the early days was well, how can we use it to connect people meaningfully, to educate them, to uplift them, right? To create a sense of community in our towns and in our, in our country and in our world. And I, that I think is work that you can tell really it excites me and excites me still. 
Um, and it's one of the reasons why I was so excited to go to Facebook, right? This idea of connection, uh-huh. what you and I are doing now, right? Um, it's just something magic that happens when two people really get present with one another. And he showed me that, you know? And so when I told him how meaningful that was to me, bear in mind, I, you know, you, you'll recall this, but for, for your listeners and viewers, um, this was uh, just a few days before September 11th. So, you know, that whole year afterwards and then some was really flummoxing for so many people, right? It was a confounding time. And I told yeah. him how meaningful what he had said was to me. And he leans in and he says, spread the message, hmm. right? Like, yeah. I, and, then, and he's I, you know, just met you and right. Yeah, This and is a year like, later. So he's, we've what? exchanged three letters, but he barely knows me. And I'm like, what do you mean? You've got a thousand shows on PBS. I'm a kid who works at MTV, but here, look what we're talking about 20 years later. Right. And it's, it's 20 years. And, and I, that's just such, it's not just a testimony to him, but it's, of course it is. But I think it's a testimony to the power of just this reminder that our lives are actually really deep and profound experiences and complex and rich and nuanced and wonderful and challenging. But we have to really be careful to pay attention and show up. Otherwise you might miss it, you know, as Ferris Bueller reminded us in a different context altogether. So, you know, we went on to make a movie, as you know, we spent a couple more years uh, after he passed away, which was a surprise to us, obviously. Um, my brother and I, and more than co-produced, you ready for this? We, I wrote it, Chris and I uh, lit and shot everything. Uh, Chris cut it, my big brother edited the whole thing. We had one guy, a buddy of ours do sound. We had one guy, a buddy of ours do some other, you know, light polishing, but it was really Chris and me. And then we managed, you know, to self, this is so entrepreneurial, right? We, we just did festivals. We figured out festivals. And then I randomly met somebody who was at PBS and she she was like, I figured you'd sold it already. And I said, no, but I'd like to, you know, and, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of viewers later pledge drives, like, and it was, it was early. This is in 2010. We premiered our film in 2012. It premiered on PBS. It wasn't until four or five years ago that the other documentary came out and the Tom Hanks movie. I'm not claiming any credit. I just, I just was passionate about it. And I'm just as passionate about it today and just as passionate about theirs, but it was pretty, it just still surprises me that we pulled it off. Um, but you know, we were uniquely positioned at the same time. <laughs> I mean, I was yeah. at MTV and Chris at its, uh, major, major programs for ESPN and, you know, comedy center, you name it. So it helped. That's, that's wild. I mean, I, I think I would have been stopped in my track. I mean, I remember Mr. Rogers, like so many other people as just being really powerful, uh, when I was younger, but I think as I, yeah. I mean, to some extent, even that, that quote that you have about the deep and simple is far more essential yeah. than shallow and complex. It's like, we're almost forced by society to go and be shallow and complex in some ways, not to blame it, but it's sort of the, the direction that we head in, you know, go find lots of friends, right? Go to, uh, go, uh, try and become a, you know, manager, a director, uh, right. That there's this course yet. I think that going back to even the deep and simple stuff really points to what do you want to do? What, how does this make you feel? And it's, it's kind of early stuff that if you think way, way back when I had probably, frankly, 
maybe like some other people, poo-pooed him when I got to a sure. point where so I was uncool. like a little too old, right? Not of cool course. anymore. It wasn't MTV, but right. you still kind of remember, you know, the lessons and how he made people feel, right? And I think that that's just so incredibly powerful. Uh, agreed. And, you know, that contrast, of course, um, this idea of a PBS mind in an MTV world helped make that. I think every time I called somebody and explained for an interview and explained what I did for my day job, they were like, why are you interested in this story? So that was yeah. an advantage. It's sort of a artificial binary. Um, but at the same time, like in every conversation I've ever had about the man, it, it softens people, it opens people. And, you know, I just think it's a, for me, it's the only way to live this idea of like, I'm going to go ahead and take the risk of trusting you with some feelings or some thoughts or some ideas that I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping you're going to respect and appreciate, but you might not, but I'm going to be present with you through that. Right. And I just don't know how else to be, but he gave me, or he catalyzed in me the courage to be more myself, if that makes sense. And I think uh, again, most of the people who had any engagement with him, whether it was through the camera or in person, would say the same thing. And his whole thing was, well, you got to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. And to your previous point, I would argue there's something about the pace of culture and the idea that we need to consume in order to be happy. We are certainly told the more we consume, the more we have, the more adventures, you know, the more Instagram photos, the happier we'll be. But I mean, you know, especially as a parent, you know, that most of the things that are advertised for happiness don't really have anything to do with the things that truly move us in profound ways, right? Or as a spouse or as a friend, you know, but certainly parenthood drive, drove that one home for me. So I, I just think for me, it's again, back to noticing if I can just notice what forces are at play, because over time at some advertising can sort of be like, well, do I need that makeup or is it a problem that I'm bald? Should I join the hair club? You know, as opposed to like, bro, this is just who you are. This how you, you are this is your yeah, and, and that's fine that's enough you know and, and i wonder i wonder if maybe we would some of this polarization we're experiencing in the country the tumult the real you know divide again whether it's being there's some hype from the media or not this this sense i wonder if that has something to do with our own cultural self-esteem right mm -hmm. this idea of like well it's possible that we're all a little bit off track with like what really matters and how we ground ourselves in that and i think the pandemic brought a lot of us home. I know it did me, in, pun not intended, by the way, into really getting closer to that and going, oh, like, you'll love this. So um, my daughter, Elsie, just the other night, and it's a school night. This is not normally allowed. Said, do you want to go play catch? And we started in the backyard, but I was like, let's go down to the park because we need more room. You're doing great. I mean, you know, when I was traveling around the world, Kara, I didn't get those moments, right? Yeah. And those moments, they kind of are advertised, you know, but generally speaking, those aren't the moments that you, you know, they don't get captured in cinema, but you know, you're an author. Those are the little moments that you try and capture and that we talk about because they're just so grounded in the stuff that makes it all worthwhile. And I'm so interested in that. What is that stuff? How do we do more of that stuff? How do we share those stories? How do we gather tools for managing the uncertainty of every day and, and, and learn them from each other so that we can both be more connected, help each other through. I'm obviously a big believer that like, this is a community, we're neighbors, like I got you. That's our, that's my job. That's my responsibility towards you. And how can we keep, keep, you know, spreading the message really, you know?
that's the thing. He, he asked me to spread the message. I got work to do. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I think that that is so, it's just, your documentary is so memorable as oh, I was, you. you know, watching it and you could just see that. I mean, again, that, that level of curiosity too, but also just discovery, all the interviews that you do throughout and how people, as you said, how he made people feel, it really person, is right? pretty simple. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is, it, you can replicate it, right? It's just asking people about getting an understanding of who they are top level, but actually going deeper with people mm -hmm. because I just think that that's, that that is something that not a lot of people do. I always talk about when I switch from the tech industry into the, you know, healthy lifestyle or beverage mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. everybody was a little thrown off because I think people work to define you as that guy who's an executive at MTV, all that yes. being cool, but who is he and how does he respond to people? How does he make people feel? I think is, you know, something that at, in the end, I think that's what you are known for. Right. And yeah. I think that that is really what they feel. I'm, th I'm thinking as you're talking, my dad successful executive, you know, started healthy choice was, was yeah. dad of five kids at his funeral. Uh, there were a whole bunch of people that he, he was always, as much as he traveled, he always coached baseball and a little bit football, but always coached baseball. That's and, awesome. and the people like we, I didn't even think at his funeral that people mm -hmm. would come back and talk about him being a coach. And he wasn't the nicest coach in the world. Like he would make the kids skip the, you know, school fair and do, and have practice, especially if they had lost. Like, I mean, he was, he was not. The, he emphasized the work, the practice. A lot of work. And he was, like, <laughs> he was the tough coach in town that he, you know, really wanted to win. And he yeah. wanted, but he also played the play, played the players and he pushed them to get better. And yeah. he, and he coached them in a way. But anyway, the point was, was that his students, his athletes always remembered how he would make them feel mm -hmm. and how people were able to look backwards and kind of fear being with him to some extent in, in the beginning, but then how much they accomplished. And I mean, yeah. that was kind of getting unloaded at his funeral. I mean, it was just, it was amazing how people were talking about that. Well, isn't it interesting too, that it often, it often takes till that moment to hear some of those stories. Right. Yeah. The, the, you know, and one of my, this is probably, well, it's at the beginning of the film. This is my favorite Fredism. There is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. Yeah. I mean, just think of that responsibility. And if you just remember that every time you bump into somebody, not just somebody you have resonance with, like we do, but like somebody who maybe is grumpy or who is just doing their job or what have you. Right. Um, but just the impact the one-to-one, -one, the personal impact on growth and development that your dad had with coaching I, you know, I just think, you know, you, to your, you, you can't imagine, I couldn't have imagined at any point in my life prior that I would meet a beloved children's television icon 
and that he would help catalyze something that was already native in me and sort of launch me forward. You just can't know. And that, you know, that's just one guy. And I think we all have that as the point. And if there's any takeaway from the movie for me or from my relationship with them, it's that it's like, we got to show up for each other. This, that's the whole thing. It's like, I don't think anybody's, you know, since you, since you raised loss, um, part of my catalyst this year, uh, two dear, dear male friends, pals of mine lost their dad. You know, um, I lost my uncle, uh, two years ago. And every time there's a loss like that, you invariably hear the refrain. I would have spent more time doing X, right? Yeah. Whether it's with so-and-so or doing such and such. And for me, reading your book and your story has a quality of this, like time is short, life is precious, let's get moving people, you know? And I just wanted, I just want to eke out every inch of my time here in relationship with other people, you know, my wife, my kids, my friends, my colleagues. I don't know what else there is, you know? Um, It's just what makes the world go around for me anyway. (laughs) I love it. That is so great. So where can people find you and learn more about the film and what you're up to now? Yeah. I mean, the simplest place, my name is my address, you know, uh, benjaminwagner.com. It's all there, the music, the movies, uh, the podcast um, with uh, my most luminous guest yet, uh, you, Um, you know, so it's all, it's all there. Um, uh, And this sort of full offering of, of who I am and the things that I love to do. And, you know, I'm really focused now on, you know, collecting and sharing these stories of transformation so that I can help individuals and institutions like transform themselves. Right. And maybe in small increments, make these neighborhoods, make our world, you know, a better place, a kinder place, a place where we're looking out for each other, lifting each other, bringing each other along. seems like a good use of time. Yeah, his your podcast, Friends and Neighbors, is so Friends and Neighbors Show.com. You can get it at BenjaminWagner.com. Sign up for the newsletter. I mean, you know, I'm all in. I, I I will take every form of communication and connection I can take I can get. I absolutely love it. So and also go check out if you haven't already, Mr. Rogers and me. And uh, thank you so much for being oh, man, on. My pleasure. And thanks everyone for listening. Uh if you like this podcast episode, please subscribe and give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite platform. And we are here every Monday and Wednesday. Uh, And definitely, if you haven't already, check out my book, which debuted in uh, the end of October of last year, Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, uh, which is lots of fun and a big journey. And I just want to add that uh, uh, your book was um, a real catalyst for me. Um, and I will, I will simply say that at some point uh, I will be calling back because, um, well, it was a huge inspiration and helped me to see some of the work that I wanted to do next. So, so thank you. Yeah, I love it. Well, that's what I hope to do is be able oh, to help it. people inspire inspire people to go and do what they're supposed to be doing. So I absolutely love you for saying that. So great. And yeah, that, that is uh that's a wrap. Thanks everyone. We will hopefully uh, 
get to entertain and educate and inspire you, you all again very, very soon. So thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.